Hi, this is Len Testa, host of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jamil. Two quick announcements. Starting with today's show, Jim and I will be releasing new episodes on the 1st and 15th of every month. That's right, two guaranteed shows on the 1st and 15th, two times per month. It's a regular delivery schedule, the audio equivalent of anchovy pizza, automatically brought to your iTunes feed. The second thing is that audio from our sold-out World's Fair live show in Flushing Meadows, New York, is now available for Pay What You Want at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. This is more than uh, two hours of Gemini talking about Walt Disney, his love for World's Fairs, and how the Disney Company was one of the big highlights of the 64 World's Fair. We cover the history of Ford's Magic Skyway ride, which influenced everything from Spaceship Earth to World of Motion to Universe of Energy, and frankly, all of Epcot. We also talk about the development of Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln, which was Disney's first complex animatronic, plus the development of General Electric's Carousel of Progress and Pepsi's It's a Small World. All those rides are still around, and you can hear Jim and I talk about their history at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. And hey, thanks for listening. Welcome back to another edition of the Unofficial Guide to Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's our mid-November show, and without further ado, I will welcome back Mr. Jim Hill. So Jim, we, uh, we just started talking. I actually have no idea what we're talking about today. What is today's subject? Well, I thought we'd do a news-related show for the first time in a while. Uh, you know, that that's uh, about a week to ten days ago. Uh, we're recording this on the 12th. Uh, the Internet kind of lost its mind when, you know, the high winds knocked a, a fireworks shell off, off Target uh, during a presentation of Wishes, and the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train building caught on fire. So. <laughs> now, if this was just a regular mine in China, a, a mine fire would be nothing new. But yeah. in the middle of Fantasyland, it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, it was interesting. The, I mean, the flames were actually fairly high in this. There's some video out on uh, WDWMagic.com mm-hmm. uh, showing it. And it, was a, I mean, it, it wasn't a small fire, let's put it that way. Well, but here's the weird thing. that I, I honestly think that, and don't get me wrong, there's, there's some great... You know, there, there was some great citizen journalists that there that night that whipped out their phones and got, you know, some some great footage of this thing. But you see, the, the hard reality is it's like, oh, my God, a fire at the Magic Kingdom, where if you actually work at the Magic Kingdom, it's like, oh, yeah, another fire at the Magic Kingdom. A fireworks-related fire especially, right? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it just, I mean, for example, just on, on the February 13th of this year, I, another spent fireworks shell landed on the roof of uh, Under the Sea, the Journey of the Little Mermaid, and started a fire there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, in fact, if you talk to the people who work in Gaston's... Uh, <laughs> is, that, is that how they actually roast the pork? Well, it's, you know, it, that's, it, in fact, honestly, given as as greasy as the pork shanks are there, all right, <laughs> the fact that this building has not gone up. I mean, they... <laughs> They talk about they're in the restaurant. The fireworks are going on. They can hear the spent shells landing on the roof. Can all right? <laughs> you know, the, just, you know, the, uh, the cast member costume includes asbestos-lined underwear. <laughs> yeah, but but, now, but but here's the thing. All right, uh, why hasn't that? Why hasn't Gaston's gone up? Because there's a fire suppression system up yeah. on the roof of that restaurant. I've, in fact, I've actually seen these in Fantasyland. Have you ever um, you ever done the tour of the top of Fantasyland? No, I haven't. That when did you do that? Uh, during a, a media event, the uh, mm-hmm. the pyro team was actually mm-hmm. doing a. This is great. This is mm-hmm. this is prior to nine eleven, and you know, I'll, I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll you'll know it. But uh, the, so the, we're doing a uh, an interview with the pyro team. It's a media mm-hmm. event, and it's in Columbia Harbor House. Okay. And not only does the pyro team bring in a shell, 
Mm-hmm. And that's uh, like a shell that's the size of like a mortar. Like you see people shoving in in those old World War II movies. Like, you know, when the Germans are like coming right down the street and they're, mm-hmm. and they're, 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 they're these massive shells. I mean, the thing was like two feet long. It was, you know, it was like the, it, it was like the size of my leg. And this guy mm-hmm. brings it in. And of course it was, it didn't have its arming fuse or anything in it. But mm-hmm. the, so he, he walks us through the process of, you know, how the shells get fired. But then he said, well, you know, let me, let me take you guys up on the roof and we'll show you the fire suppression. Stuff and uh, and so we walked up on the roof and it's it's actually kind of cool but um but sprinklers everywhere on the top of Fantasy Lane all over and they fire them off starting about uh, fifteen or twenty minutes. That's it exactly before and, and the before the fireworks begin to get the the roof nice and soaked. And it's the interesting thing is it's not just the rooftops. In fact, you know if you ever want to see something interesting, you want to be at the back of Storybook Circus about 15 minutes prior to the start of Wishes. And what you want to do is get on that path that runs along the back of Tomorrowland Speedway that will take you over to Tomorrowland. If you look out there uh, into the forest, you can actually see that there are sprinklers set up out there. They're wetting down the woods. Oh, that's right, because that's outside the yeah, yeah that's outside the, the, of the park, but it's still – the fire is still in there, right? Yeah, the, actually the the oh, – the, the, the shooting area that the sort of the where they in fact it's kind the of zone. ironic the zone uh each shell has from when it explodes in the sky there's about a six to eight depending on the size of the shell there's a six to eight hundred foot wide zone that it can come down in wow and and depending on the wind depending on you know there's a lot of of, of factors here so what Disney has learned is you you wet down the roofs of the buildings, you wet down the roofs, uh, you wet down the woods, uh, and then afterwards, you know that you actually have a team from Reedy Creek Emergency Services. Those are the the actual firemen for the resort. Just sort of roll the perimeter and you know sort of eyeball the forest, and they've sent people up on rooftops to check. Um, and of course, in, in you know, in, in spite of the best efforts of Reedy Creek and the best efforts of putting all these. Uh, the sprinklers in place. In the case of um, uh, the Little Mermaid Dark Ride, you know that you know this shell managed to land in the one area on that rooftop that the sprinklers hadn't been set up properly. You know, What's well, going to happen, right? I mean, if you're, yeah. you're, how many how many times a night are you doing the fireworks? How mm-hmm. many shells are going off? What how how big is the area you have to protect? I mean, it's, essentially, it's like a game of Battleship, right? I mean, at, no. at some point, at some point, the shell's going to find you. Mm-hmm. And and the same thing actually with Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. I mean, here's the irony: um, because they knew they couldn't do natural grass uh, up on the top of the show building because, of course, shells fall down on it. Right. Uh, what they did is they went out and got some artificial grass uh, that had a wire core to it and, you know, sort of shaped it so it looked like grass. And more to the point, because it's plastic, it, even in the Florida sun, it's going to hold its color longer right. than natural grass and throw that stuff in there. And so here comes this black powder, again, spent black powder shell tumbling on its guy, lands in the middle of it. And what they're now realizing is it, the wire, you know, the, the plastic was fireproof, but the wire that was in the middle of the plastic, I mean, have you ever set fire to a piece of steel wool, Len? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, in prison. It's how I used to make uh, fuses to... I mean, uh, no, Jim, I've never done that. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, again, it was supposed to be non-flammable material, but, but as the video showed... The Hindenburg. <laughs> yeah. But again, relatively small piece of the roof uh, that caught fire, and 
Uh, and again, just to give you the timeline, Wishes starts at 10 that night. By uh, 10.20, the first reports are popping up online like, hey, you know, Seven Dwarfs Mine Train is on fire. Uh, by by 10.30, Reedy Creek is there on the scene. Within two minutes, they've got a ladder truck set up. They're spraying down the roof, and by 10.35, the fire's out. Yeah. Uh, and so they're rolling up hoses. And, and again, to give you some idea of how little damage was done, they do a walk through the building. They determine the ride itself hasn't been damaged. And it reopens two hours later in time for all the guests who've signed up, especially for extra magic hours, just to get a chance to ride Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. Yeah. It was, uh, uh, they said it was just cosmetic within, uh, I think within an hour or so they were cycling trains through just to make sure. So even though the, uh, the damage was uh, contained to the outside, they had to recycle mm-hmm. the entire ride and, and uh, make sure everything was safe on it. So. Yeah. Now, it, what's interesting is why did this one, end up all over social media, and and yet, you know, the same thing happens to Little Mermaid, and it gets bubkis. To be honest, the Little Mermaid fire happened in an area that was hard for guests to see and photograph. I mean, they could smell it, they could see Reedy Creek responding from backstage, but nobody could get the killer photographs that then made... <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, that then made NBC and, and CBS and, you know, all those decide to run this thing. The thing that uh, I loved, the thing that I loved about the uh, the traditional media response was they go onto Twitter and say, "Hey, does anyone have video of this?" Or if they, if somebody actually had video, it's like, "Hey, this is Steve from Action Twelve News. Can I use this video? <laughs> Need to answer ASAP." It's kind of funny. Yeah, and and you know, but again, this happens now because people have you know cameras in their cell phones. Yeah. In fact. I was talking with a, a Disney rep about, you know, just the effect of Jesus. Thank God this technology wasn't as prevalent back in 2001 when that was the time when the shell actually fell down in one of the, on one of the towers that Cinderella Castle really? caught fire. And again, again, you, it just it was one of these things where it's like. You know, it, it, it was back in the day of, well, I'll have to take the camera to, to go, go, you know, quick stop photo and get the photo developed. And then you're going to have like developing film. the Zapper film. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's just <laughs> sort of like, and by then the non-story was a non-story. Yeah. Um, and, and, and honestly, I mean, again, hard reality. When you're firing off 600 shells, which is typically the, the amount of shells that go off during wishes, um, that's a lot of black powder and paper flying around through the Something, air. Something's got to happen again. It's, I'm, I'm only surprised it doesn't happen more often. It's There's and, no way you can protect that much ground from that many fireworks. And it, it, it's only worse at, like, the um, the 4th of July or New Year's Eve with the, the perimeter mm-hmm. fireworks. I mean, you know, you and I both know people who stood in Frontierland or Tomorrowland and like, oh, look at the fireworks. And, oh, look at the cylinder that landed at my feet. Oh. <laughs> I've, actually, uh, I've actually caught paper from the shells. Oh. Um, in uh, in Frontierland. In fact, I actually keep a piece of it in my wallet as a reminder. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of okay. it's kind of cool. But yeah, they're, they're, I mean the uh, so the 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 paper core they're they're like mm-hmm. little strips of paper about maybe half an inch wide, maybe two inches long, mm-hmm. and you know we were we were in Frontierland. The wind was it was a, it was a strange weather day. Anyway, this uh, we see this clump of paper sort of like uh, spiraling down, but it's you know it's uh, it's tumbling end over end, and we're like, well. From a, and we can see from a distance because it's huge. It's like a, it's like a mm-hmm. massive cloud, mm-hmm. and it's coming towards us. And we're like, wow, that's a, that's a lot of smoke coming towards us. You know, and, and the, the way the wind was going, and it turns out it was this, it was the paper that they were using, I guess, for the wadding or the packing inside. But it, it went everywhere. It was, I mean, handfuls of the stuff just everywhere, just falling down. It was kind of, 
kind of, and it smelled like salt. I mean, it smelled like gunpowder, like burnt. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was really interesting. But again, they take this stuff seriously. That's why that they have cast members. I mean, the very thing you're talking about, the fire suppression systems. But they also send cast members up. I mean, for example, after uh, wishes is over before they can then allow people in behind Cinderella Castle again. They actually send cast members up to run the roof line, you know, for Fill Our Magic and all the yep. way down to, to Poo just to make sure there's nothing going on up there. Good. Well, uh, safety first. And, you know, but, but the other thing that I, I personally find fascinating about this is that, you know, Disney, uh, I want to say about six years ago, uh, decided that, you know, it's really not, the fireworks, fires, you know, the little, you know, the stuff that happens from the shells during the show that we should be worried about. It's actually the fact that we store hundreds, if not thousands of shells backstage, you know, in bunkers just off of Floridian Drive. Um, really? That's actually, that's actually why they moved the fire station, which used to be on Center Road, right behind the Magic Kingdom. It's now actually... Uh, just past the backstage entrance to Frontierland off to the left side of the road. And it's deliberately positioned there for when, you know, that the, in, in sort of the disaster scenario, if, you know, any one of those bunkers were to ever catch fire, I mean, they don't get me wrong, they're, they're concrete buildings with steel doors that are covered with tons of earth. Yeah. In theory, nothing would happen, but, you well, know, the damage notion, would be limited. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, should something happen, you know, uh, you know, and, and in fact, somebody was suggesting you may have seen the story bubble up over the last four or five days about Disney is once again sort of trying to protect its no fly zones. But that's actually one of the things that they cite when they go to the government. It's like, look, we need a no fly zone. Did you, you know, did you see what we have in these bunkers here and what would happen if somebody were to drop a plane on them? You know. Oh, right, right. Cause it's, yeah, so the Floridian Way, for people who um, are trying to visualize where we're at, if you're, uh, if you're between, say, Pecos Bills and Splash Mountain, and you're facing towards the railroads, in other words, you're facing towards the, the berm around the park, mm-hmm. if you go uh, straight through where the parade ride is, you know, outside of the, the, the proper park boundary, and you make a, you go, you walk a little bit, like 100 yards, you make a left, you're on Floridian Way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right there. That's the that's the extreme end of the park, and and I know this because uh, during uh, Disney's races, you, you sometimes used to run through that. Well, and and other thing that that in fact, for those of you who are fireworks fans who actually want to see the the fascinating way Disney actually stages these shows, that's a public road. And is it really? You, it is. It's it's actually a public way, and if you want to have a really interesting. You know, take on the Disney fireworks yeah. uh, th- at the Magic Kingdom. What you do is you actually drive the perimeter road and you park in the parking lot of the Reedy Creek Fire Station. They're facing toward the park. Oh wait, so uh, so how would we get there? You would go down, you'd, like you're going to the Grand Floridian, and you keep going. Yes, you just drive past the Grand Floridian and then you just continue along the backstage road there, and then you know, again, they're gonna just understand that a, a a Reedy Creek employee came out, may come out and shoo you away. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, just feign it. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm lost. I'm looking at my map here, trying to figure out how to get back to my hotel. You know, there you go. Ready made excuse. Um, but if you're facing the park, you can then watch how, uh, for, you know, the, the thing is when you stand on Main Street and you see 
the fireworks high above you and then the fireworks, uh, you know, that are shot off from the castle itself. Right. Uh, if you're watching it from the side, you know, where you then get to see that these shells are fired, you know, way behind the kingdom and actually are aimed deliberately to explode over the castle, where the fire, the low level fireworks that go off from the castle come up from, you know, come up from below yeah. and they, they form this picture in front of you. I mean, again, that's, that's, you know, the, the constant complaint about, you know, the, the fireworks show that Steve Davison does that they look wonderful if you're a hundred feet back from the partner's statue. Yeah, in, this, in this one particular spot where Steve must have stood when he, yeah. he designed the entire show. Yeah. 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 Actually, but, you I, know, I really like being behind the castle because I think, uh, I don't miss, I don't miss very much of the stuff that happens in front of the castle to the sides, mm-hmm. but I think you're, uh, you're much closer to the stuff that appears back behind Fantasyland. That, and again, you get those souvenir shells. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> but, all right, now, now, now again, we just we, we just talked about how, you know, this was a fire that was all over social media and the mainstream media grabs it and that sort of thing. And it, it's hard to imagine, you know, again, and given the way they reacted to this relatively small fire that was contained in five minutes on top of a show building. It's when you look at how they reacted to that, you have to wonder what they would have done back in June of 1985 when monorail gold caught on fire. Oh yeah. This is is the, this is the classic story, right? This is the one that, Oh God! People, people like end up like climbing out of the monorail while it's up. This is, by the way, this is the thing that terrifies me. I actually have nightmares about this. You're on the monorail, like you know, mm-hmm. either going right towards the right before it gets to the contemporary, or right after it leaves, and yeah. something happens and you're stuck there. As a child, this is, was my biggest fear of being. Well, and by child, I mean last week. But you know, okay. Well, yeah. well, all right. <laughs> let's hand you a little more nightmare fuel. And Great. all right, this is how it actually went down. Okay, so it's 9 o'clock at night. It's a full monorail, okay? They've just left Epcot. They're heading up the tracks, the run parallel to World Drive to get the ticket and transportation system because, ironically enough, this is a car full of people trying to get to the Magic Kingdom to see finishing the sky fireworks, all right? Okay. Last car of the train, uh, near as they can figure, uh, a tire back there goes flat, and then the backup tire uh, goes flat right on top of this. And I, I have to stress here that Disney did do its due diligence safety-wise. I mean, they checked these tires every three days. They had been checked just two days previous and had passed inspections. So something went, you know, horrifically wrong. And the other and two tires blowing Two tires up. going. And, and – uh, that that coupled with the fact that the friction of the two tires collapsing, they they get superheated and they then catch fire. Um, okay, monorail pilots up in his, uh, you know, that they they you know, just sitting there at his controls looks sees a light kick on for the the last car that there's something, you know, heat related stops the train a half mile away from the ticket and transportation system. Okay. Uh, about this time, smoke starts to fill the last car of the train. And now there's only 40 people in that car, but he gets on the line and explains, look, folks, I'm really sorry. Something seems to have gone really bad here. Here's what you need to do. All right. Now, now picture this. You're 30 feet off the ground in a monorail car. Yep. You have to open the door. 
you then have to climb up on the roof of the monorail. That would be the day. <laughs> my, my feet are sweating already just thinking about this. Go ahead. And now you have to walk down the length of the train to get away from the fire. This is actually what you're hearing over the intercom. Right? So how are, so the, 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 the things on the, on the roof, how do you get up there? Well, you know, just, it's interesting. From accounts at the, um, you know, they describe they actually used one of the window latches to stand on to be able to scramble up into the roof. And you had people in the doorway who were pushing people up. Yeah. And then once people were on the roof, they could help people up. But so the first 40 people start to go up and then start to move up the train because now at this point, there are two and three foot tall flames coming up through the fuselage. Oh right. wow! So they so they had to hustle. I mean, these people they had to hustle. All right. What, By the what time, if, what if you're in like a? I mean, no, I guess no one was in a uh, an ECV or a wheelchair or whatever. It's I, again, it's just total luck of the draw. Wow. Okay. All right. So. Um, you know, by the time Reed Creek gets there, the, the, the other passengers within the train have begun to panic, and they've opened up their cars. When they arrived, there were 150 people standing on the roof of the monorail. All right, and they can't um, move the monorail, right? Because I mean, there's people on top of it now. Well, then also now picture this. Okay, you shut down your entire monorail system, and more to the point, you are. This is all going down next to World Drive. All right, sir. So everyone who's driving in and out is seeing a monorail on fire and hundreds of people standing on the roof. Um, Reed Creek, to their credit, gets within gets there within 15 minutes of the alarm being sounded and immediately gets the fire out. Unfortunately, because they've never dealt with this situation before, yeah. it takes them 75 minutes to get everybody off the train. Yeah, I mean, what do you, what do you, they have to put a ladder up there? You get a ladder company? Well, they did ladders. They, they raced around property and found cherry pickers. Um, it was, it was bad, you know, um, and, you know, Disney tried, you know, to, to be as, as forthright as they could about it. Um, but, you know, obviously when something like this happens, people sue. In fact, there was one couple from Tennessee, uh, let's see, Kenneth and Evie Buchanan. They actually sued. They actually sued. Wow. Uh, you know, they could, cause evidently she had a, uh, she badly injured her knee during the evacuation okay, and they'd had to have surgery. Really? Wow. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd like to say that Disney learned from this that, um, that you know, that, that, okay, we need to be ready if there's ever this sort of thing happens again on property. But uh, December 16th, 2009, um, you know, it, it's one o'clock in the morning, a train load of people are on the monorail and there's a computer failure. And the train just goes dark. It can't run. And it, it's again, it's at a spot on the track where you can't get at people. So it's one o'clock in the morning and it's somewhere between stations. So, yeah. So they and they, they had bought this quarter of a million dollar scissor lift that supposedly was going to deal with this situation. And it, it couldn't reach the train. Um, really? So they bought a scissor lift that wasn't tall enough for the, all the tracks. Well, it could reach up 22 feet, but, okay. uh, and it, and in theory, it was supposed to be able to take 45 people off at a time. Um, but it took them four hours. You know, that, that, that they, they, there were 300 passengers in the train. They didn't get everybody off and, excuse me, three hours. They were off at by 4 a.m., but it was, you know, <laughs> so the Disney rep, they're like, 
Let me buy your passes. Let me buy your breakfast. Let me pay your hotel room. You know, just trying desperately to keep this, you know, from being a news story. Um, (laughs) but, but I, I think my favorite part of, of this, uh, well, let me, let me be honest here. My favorite part is that nobody in the end wound up getting hurt. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that, you know, scary as this situation was in both of these cases, uh, you know, that the people were safely evacuated and nobody was injured, nobody died. Um, but <laughs> a, a year and two months after the monorail fire in Orlando, a musical gets mounted called Monorail Inferno. <laughs> And it's it's it this show's put together by uh, Michael Wazy and Chris Charon. And it's a musical. It's it's you know, it, it it's basically the towering inferno set on a monorail. And you know, and evidently, you know, just it, there were so many Disney cast members and people who worked in theme parks who loved the show because they had uh you know, it was just this this you know, the setup was, you know, you had a Disney tour guide who would just load everybody on the train. And, you know, it's it's the the housewife from Indiana and the, you know, the the, the couple having marital issues. And I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I totally get it. Yeah. You know, and it's just this. It, but again, and, and then something, you know, something goes horribly wrong. And it was so beloved, so enjoyed by because it made such brutal jokes about Disney and working at theme parks. That twenty years later they revived it. Really? Uh, yeah, in March of two thousand seven, they 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 brought it back and presented it in Orlando, and and people and it, they had gone back and updated the jokes a little bit, but again, there's enough of people who work in and around Orlando who dealt with Disney and the Disney speak and that sort of thing who just loved that it this you know they they managed someone managed to take what it could have been a really tragic event and turned it into something genuinely funny. That's awesome, but, but but anyway. So again, just just sort of stress here that that I know it's a, an interesting piece of video with the the fire the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train fire, but honestly, you know, it, not even close have, to being the same thing. <laughs> you know, and again, there there isn't a Disney exec out there who doesn't thank his lucky stars that nobody had a cell phone or a video camera back in you know July of eighty five or June of eighty five, and it took decent footage of it. There's only a couple of photographs uh, and you can go online and find them. And man, when you take a look at that burned monorail car, it's just, it's astounding that nobody got hurt. So. I, uh, I, I was uh, driving through the Magic Kingdom ticket office one time and mm-hmm. uh, through the ticket turn stuff. And yep. there was a, a shades of green bus that was just in flames. It's on my Twitter account. It was just, I mean, in flames, like burning, like there's no one, no one was on the bus at the time. And it was, uh, I think it was the only, uh, the only tweet that, uh, that came out of that. But it, it was like six o'clock in the morning. It was, I mean, literally it was six o'clock in the morning. I was driving in the Magic Kingdom. So it happened way before, um, the uh, the park was open, so no no one was around it. But uh, yeah, I just happened to casually snap the photo and keep going. Well, you know, and that's the thing. When if you think of Walt Disney World as a city, you know, and that face it in city, you know, and in fact, that's the other thing worth noting that Reedy Creek, on average, every day does two hundred calls around property. You know, really, two hundred. Two hundred. You know that that's it's it. But when you think about, you know, whether it's somebody twisting their ankle or... Hey, 200, you know, 200, though, is, I mean, that's, you know, nine an hour. Well, no, that that that's... And there are four different, you know, fire stations on property. It's one every seven minutes. Seven yeah, minutes. yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. And, it's amazing. you know, they, 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 there's another stat here, uh, you know, the effect of what is it? 29,000, you know, I think that was their busiest year was 29,000 calls, but, um, over a one year's time. But, but again, when you think that way, when you think about this many vehicles and this many human beings who can make mistakes, they're going to be fires. I mean, as recently as February of 2008, you know, one of the, uh, troop transport vehicles that are used for the safari at, at Disney's Animal Kingdom, uh, caught fire. The, 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 the flames leaped up between the cab and where the guest section was and, <laughs> I see people running out of the cars and the animals running towards them. And you know, it's just it's just one of those things where this is barbecue. One, yeah, it's just sort of like you know, run toward the lions, we'll be safe. You know, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like a, that should be a Jurassic Park thing, a Jurassic so. Park plot. <laughs> well, you haven't heard about Jurassic World yet, have you? No, um, okay. we'll, see, we'll maybe keep so. that in. Well. Right, cool. Anyway, so that, that there's your, your your fired relabored stories. So that's fantastic. You really appreciate it. Well, that's going to do it for us today. You've squandered another perfectly good hour listening to us, Jim and Len, on the Disney Dish podcast. Our esteemed producer is not Doug, the Subway fugitive, not a slave to fashion, Bongo Boy Berman. Our British hospitality advisor is Tina Crumpet. Our obsessive yard care specialist is Moses Lonigan. Our ornithology intern is Luke Aboyd. And our sculling coach is Rose Dior. Our staff negotiator is Andover Fist. The head of our human resources department is Hiram Cheaply. And the director of our weekly Spiritual Supper Sunday event is Pastor Fajolet. Our chief legal counsel from the law firm of Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe is Hugh Lewis Dewey, known to the guardian angels around Harvard Square as Huey Louis Dewey. For Jim, this is Len. Please don't drive like my brother. Don't drive like my brother. <laughs> See you on the next show. Take care, folks.